Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Amir Malikpour. You're wearing your cool Love and Rockets t-shirt. That's How right. Appropriate. I, am, I am wearing my Love and Rockets t-shirt. Should have put mine on. We are discussing the Love Bunglers by Jaime Hernandez from 2014. It's a difficult book in some ways and a beautiful book in other ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how I would summarize it. It is. So I'm going to start with my kind of origin story with Love and Rockets, which is pretty basic. Mm-hmm. You know, the comic, I've been reading comics for almost all my life. And the reason I stayed with comics is because of books like Love and Rockets. Uh, Love and Rockets came out first when I was in high school. And then it became great while I was in college. And it was kind of the perfect book to read in college because here's these characters who are going to punk rock shows and having these complicated, interesting lives and who are doing things that are, you know, similar to what I'm doing in my life. So they're people who I can relate to. Flash forward all these years later, and Maggie is literally born the year before me. Mm. So like, she has actually kind of appeared to me. And to see, so to see her at this point in her life and her friends and her family was like so meaningful to me, especially like all the flashbacks in the story that go into her family life are like sitting down with a friend over dinner and having her tell stories about how complicated and weird her family life was. And it suddenly illuminates so much more of her life back to me. Suddenly I just get her so much more. And so this book was really meaningful to me, both on like the level of just being a great work of comic art and as being like me really kind of getting to spend time with old friends or acquaintances who I just don't get to see as often as I'd like. That's beautiful. That's awesome. What's your experience with Love and Rockets? Um, so <laughs> mine is not, it's, it's hard to follow that because mine is not as beautiful as yours. But I have <laughs> one thing, I, I do remember you mentioning that to me before. In fact, when we talked about Love Bunglers, I think years ago, actually, maybe few years back when we kind of mentioned it, I think you mentioned, it might even when it came out back in 2014, because I think you mentioned like how, uh, that this is part of my experience through you actually, a lot okay. of it. But, um, but I will say, um, I probably didn't buy it in 2004. I bought it later on. And um, when I started reading comics, back reading comics, actually American comics back in 2009, pretty much. I mean, I had some things, you know, I was interested in art and things like that, but I really, this uh, Love and Rockets kind of catapulted me into looking into comics that are more than just superhero comics as an adult is one of them. I mean, there's, there's Dan Klaus, you know, who's also a big, I'm a big fan of, but when I really started to get into Love and Rockets was when I moved to Seattle for about eight months for a job. And I started to, you know, one of the things that I always do is I go to every single comic shop and then I get obsessed and I do that every week. <laughs> I try to do that. And the one place that I went to um, uh, was the Fanographics uh, bookstore and run by Larry Reed, like an amazing, like, historian person in comics basically and who runs that uh, that store 
I would I would go there. I'd go there pretty much every week on Sunday. And I actually had just moved to Seattle. I didn't know anybody. I had a job that was very stressful for what the company was going through. And uh, it was like my haven. So I'd go to Santa Graphic stores and they always had these dollar. They still do. If you live in Seattle, you're visiting, you should go there. Uh, of course, you know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you, uh, uh, so at the back, they would have all these like issues of love and rockets, like for a dollar or half off or whatever. And I picked some up and I was just like enamored by Jaime, Jaime Hernandez's artwork, just amazing art, you know? And uh, I mean, I knew of independent, or not independent, but non-mainstream comics, non-DC through Klaus, you know, and obviously Fanex, some of the other Fanex, but I just, and I knew of uh, Love and Rockets just in passing hearing about them. So I started to pick up those issues and I started to just buy everything of Love and Rockets, started to read. I bought the first when I, I believe when I came back to, actually, I do remember buying the first trade that they put out, like of like Maggie the Mechanic. And mm -hmm. again, just loving, um, loving, loving that, uh, his art, and really not, because I, I kept on reading and rereading that trade, you know, up until a certain point, and then I didn't really uh, identify with the story because it was just that Maggie and Mechanic, it's the early on work and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then ended up reading some other issues here and there. I bought all of the issues. I went back and bought all the issues, read some of them. And then once Jaime and Beto put in their newest, I think it's up to issue eight right now. Uh, I started to buy the newest um, work that they're doing for Loving Rockets. And that's where I've, I've, I've read pretty much every single of those issues. And then I have all of them. And so this was such a gift. To, and I do remember distinctly a few years back, you mentioning how Love Bunglers, or, you know, it's so funny because we're friends and we, ha we hang out almost every week, you know, on Zoom and we chat and all, and whenever I get a chance to, I always enjoy talking to you, but I also know you through your uh, reviewing on the site. Like I read your reviews or like, you know, stuff that you talk about books and stuff. So to be honest with you, I don't know if you mentioned, if I read your review <laughs> of the book or I heard it through you, but I distinctly remember the story that you just mentioned and how touching it is and how I was excited to read this book. So that's my story. It's not a, I hope I didn't go as long winded, but basically <laughs> I just love his artwork. I, I try to get everything that he has and I'm, I'm, I love this book and this book was hard to read for the, I will say first chapter was cool. Second chapter was very difficult to read because of the subject matter. And then later on it was hard, hard. And then it just, I'm like, oh, okay, that's why. And then it made sense. And then at the end, you know, it, it really, uh, was a beautiful story and and I'm a guy who doesn't have the history that you do and in fact I haven't read most of his work I've read a lot of his work but not most like um, I also read the uh, you know the, the wrestling book that he had but, um, but yeah anyway Nelly well Nelly exactly sorry well I think a part of what makes the story so great is that it's easy to identify in the memories you have of your of your experiences with people and the complicated relationships that you have when you think about spending time with your friends and loved ones. I mean, what this book is about as much as anything is about how people's lives 
evolve and change over time? How do people who you were once really close with become, you know, memories, how your memory lives in other people's heads, how uh, the meaning of family changes? I mean, it's so moving, for example, that Hopi just appears for a brief moment in this book, but it, in some ways her specter kind of is always there too. And I just think anyone can relate to a story where it's about people coming, kind of coming in and out of your life as an adult who made an impression and then kind of wander out again. Mm-hmm. So I think even if you don't have the history with these characters, this is the book I would say is worth really jumping in if you're curious about Love and Rockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I loved it. Um, and again, like it was, you're right on point on it. Like the history of like, it's almost like, uh, I actually had a lot of questions for you in regards to like, Jaime's storytelling, you know, obviously we're going to get to the ending of, is it real? Is it a dream? How much do you, do you know about certain characters? Like, for example, I, you know, I'm not having a background. Do you know about Calvin before this book? I'm not nearly as he's just kind of some, someone who's mentioned briefly, as far as I remember, his character uh, gets so, you know, expanded in this story. And yeah, I mean, we're going to spoil this book. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't pick up until I read the book all the way through that Calvin was the character from the beginning who mm-hmm. reappears in the end and it becomes this uh, kind of perpetuates the violence that was committed against him. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I just, it's something I didn't really know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I didn't know about it either. And I, I thought it was just some, cause there is a scene where he says you can't be here she says you can't be here right and i'm like oh it's probably some stalker that's stalking because she's in love with her mm-hmm. and she's nice to even her stalkers because you know that's her mo right maggie is the one everybody loves but instead it's it's her brother i didn't know anything of the, any of the stuff about her childhood especially mm-hmm. and that's the thing that struck me the most on my first reading of it was this whole idea that Maggie isn't really Maggie, she's Perla, and she created this whole other kind of life or experience for herself in her adolescence that she's kind of lived with since then. Like everything that we had known about Maggie, you know, her attending punk rock shows and her uh, relationship with her friends and her kind of just coolness in her adventures, is all just in some ways a rebellion against this kind of very controlling life that she lived in. Mm-hmm. And then when she's living in Brown Town, as they call it, and she can't even go out and hang out with Hopi because they're the whole family is stuck hiding behind the walls because of her parents' divorce. Mm-hmm. That was just so like it's something I could have never guessed. And so, you know, the idea of Maggie's personality becoming not personality, but persona becoming something that she had created mm-hmm. or was pulled back into was really, I thought, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that she had stayed friends with Hopi for their entire lives, mm-hmm. despite the fact they live so far away. Mm-hmm. Again, like I had no 
idea of that. And so it gives them even so much more resonance as characters when she tries to help Hopi and Hopi's wife become pregnant. Mm -hmm. It's like really meaningful because in a way she is kind of the surrogate herself for helping her best friend have a baby. Mm -hmm. And I think you can pick up on that if you've never seen these characters before, but it has even more resonance. So all of the, sorry, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. You're saying. Which is, I was just going to say, it has more resonance if you've read the book for a while. I had a question about that. So all of these things that they mentioned, relationship. So should we summarize this to begin with and then we can jump in or? Okay. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a good summary person. Would you like to do it or I could jump in? Yeah, I mean, it's about so Maggie's in her mid 40s. She works as a landlady. She encounters some of her old friends who have she has complicated relationships with Reno and um, Ray Dominguez and Ray's been a character throughout the stories also <laughs> she's she's just been in and out of relationships with them in and out of relationships with her best friend Hopi she kind of just meets them again and hangs out with them kind of just through the normal pace of their lives and um, the book then flashes back to the story of Maggie's childhood she had moved, she'd been moved out of town from the neighborhood that she had lived in in LA to a different area of probably California, which is called Roundtown. Uh, we see the story of her and her four or five siblings. Uh, most importantly, her younger brother ends up being sexually assaulted by an older boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, then we go back to the present we see Maggie, and also there's a lot of other stuff there too, like Maggie's dad is caught cheating on her by her dad, by her, by Maggie, excuse me. Maggie sees her dad was cheating on her, which is a shattering experience for her, of course. And then uh, the book flashes forward back to California and Maggie with her relationships with Ray and stuff. Um, in the end, Maggie's brother comes back to to California. It's kind of stalking her, as you were saying earlier. And then through reasons that are kind of left unknown, maybe he's crazy. Um, he ends up assaulting Ray. Mm-hmm. Ray has terrible brain damage. And then in the very end, we see Maggie caring for Ray. Mm-hmm. And there's other stuff in there, like stuff with Ray's girlfriend. Viv, the frog mouth, is also a longtime character and also had a relationship with Maggie mm-hmm. and uh, some Maggie's uh, roommate and Maggie trying to start a garage. There's just so much going on here. It's 110 pages, but there's just so much richness mm-hmm. in here. Yeah. And frog mouth is not in a relationship with Ray anymore, right? They broke up. They break up in, in the book. Yeah. Oh, in the book. I thought it was. Oh, in the middle of the book. Right. Yeah. Okay. Basically, because Ray just can't get over the one kiss he had from Maggie. Yeah. It's um, so Ray does have, so they have history, Maggie and Ray. So it's it's interesting. So one of the things um that comes up, you know, kind of jump jumping into the um the brother, right? Cal- Calvin, mm-hmm. who we talk about, like I thought it was a he was stalker, like a stalker guy or is in love with her or something 
Um, so that's her brother who does get sexually abused in the second chapter. So that chapter two is very, it's like a super dysfunctional family that, as you mentioned, like the parents, you know, they're going to get a divorce because the husband is cheating on, on her wife. Uh, her dad is cheating on his mom with a, like a coworker or somebody that works for him. Yeah. And, and I think most significantly he, they're a Mexican family. She's clearly like this white girl. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, so as a result of that, I do feel like there's a little bit of a neglect with the little son. Mm-hmm. And as the child gets neglected, the child meets this abuse, the sexual abuser, like this, his sexual abuser. And, um, and it's crazy, right? It's just, it was difficult to read like, those portions. Yeah. And then on top of that, it seems like, I mean, this is the parallel that I see and you know, I did do a little bit of background reading too, but like uh, about the book, it seems like Calvin, like when he kills, well, you know, he ends up killing the, and the family is just like a, this throughout the book that the family is just like a downward spiral. And like, it's, I mean, I, I can't believe how, how well adjusted Maggie turned out. Like it just shows how like inherently she's like the, you know, this is not a superhero book, but she, her superpower is being a good person amidst all these difficulties, right? Because, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't even know if she knew that her brother killed the abuser, but I think part of it is you see over and over again was like, he'll notice that the abuser um, was talking to Maggie, wants to like hook up with Maggie. He'll, yeah. He always asks about Maggie, hey, where's your sister? Get her over here, you know, that kind of a thing. And the mom never does tell the kids about it because there's a comment Maggie makes as an adult that my mom has all these stories she's not oh, ever yeah. tells. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so I think that Calvin or Cal kills the, the abuser because he is afraid that the abuser is going to go and abuse his sister. Yeah. So he's all like, because, yeah. you know, there's a scene on page 47 where he's all, you know, she really liked me. She thought I was cool. So you don't know. And like, and, um, and basically it's like, he's all, he's like, oh, oh, he's going to do to her what he did to me. So he's like really overly protect. And that's why he shows up to her door in the beginning to protect her, not to stalk her. And then of course, tragically, that's why at the end of the book, he, hurts Ray even though at some point he tells Ray like you're the only person that I trust with her but then when Ray punches him he starts those things this is what my view is all those things come back oh oh, Ray is like an abuser maybe he's gonna hurt her and then well he goes takes the brick I think that's absolutely true I think he's he gets a kind of flash of red in his eyes it's like I can't let this happen to anyone else and so he feels like he has to kind of abuse her. There's so much like smartness in the way Jaime creates the scene too, because Calvin beats up the attacker with rebar. And earlier in this story, we see him kind of hanging out in an area where there's rebar. So even like this little bit of foreshadowing to it. And then Jaime's art just conveys these scenes so well too. You know, they're on page 47, for example, you know, the abuser is sitting against a brick wall and we just see him against this re- repeated pattern of the wall. So he's like kind of trapped in his own little cage of his own actions. And Calvin just in, in that first panel is just in silhouette. So he's like this specter almost coming to 
attack this person who's kind of trapped in his own world. Mm -hmm. But then we see in the next panel, the scene, the situation reverses. We see Calvin straight on and we see uh, the attacker's eyes kind of shadowed. It's almost as if um, the, the pattern is going to flip and then mm -hmm. repeat itself. Mm -hmm. That the abused becomes the abuser. And mm -hmm. so it's like this never ending pattern of it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we see that manifested in the silhouette in the final panel on that page. And it's just the brilliance of Jaime's storytelling. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, unfortunately, you know, when people get abused, they, like I'm sure he went to juvenile hall or some type of a thing, got put into with other people who did the same type of things and probably got abused there. And that's, you know, like in prison, you know, people who aren't ready to go to prison or things like that. And it's crazy. Page 48 is just beautiful too, where the, the family discovers what had happened to Calvin. Mm -hmm. And um, the husband, Nacho, goes to the wife, Quina. Mm -hmm. And they're looking to the side and everyone's just terrified of what they're seeing. And mm -hmm. she's got this really complicated, fraught relationship with her husband. And she sees the, you can just read so much in her face and the stress mm -hmm. and strain, what's happening. Yeah. That little kind of simple line, you know, where's Calvin? He's staying. Yeah. Uh, and then there the last panel being like a half black panel as the car drives away in the far distance. It's just gorgeous storytelling. There is one thing that's amazing about that. I mean, there are a lot of things about it, but that's actually really positive about that page. Can you tell? Is it Maggie? Maggie, uh, panel four, is reading a comic book. Mm -hmm. That's the way she's getting through this whole tragedy. or I mean, the whole thing tragedy that she may or may not know some parts of she's she reading actually reads she reads that comic in other issues of comics by the way in other issues oh. of Robin rockets by the way i remember it distinctly actually because um one of my friends who's no longer in comics is referenced in the original so i remember it being something i teased him about years ago what comic book is so it's that? visual continuity this goes back to uh, Jaime's time working in fanzines. Mm -hmm. He references a, a old fanzine called Ultra, old fanzine superhero called Ultrazine or Ultraman. Ah, okay. Is that Omni Man? Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Do we know what comic that is, or did they talk about it before? It, she's shown reading, and I can't remember them talking about what it is though. Oh, that's cool. So that's there's one the solace. You know, that's one thing that she goes to comics. Yeah. I mean this. He's such an amazing writer that like you almost feel his personality on the pages, you know. I mean, you don't know. Maybe it's maybe he has nothing, you know. I mean, obviously he's Mexican American, but all but you know, uh, that's probably the only thing he has in common with these stories, but it's just amazing that like you all you're like you feel, you know, you feel this such a real story. And even though I don't have the same background as you do, it's just it's but I noticed that one. There's, there's some other stuff that was interesting to me. And just to kind of, as a reference, I noticed, you know how they're watching uh, Saturday Night Fever? Yeah. And they're all really, you know, every, but like the kids aren't really like, some of them are, this is right after they found out that parents are getting separated. And you see like the little boy, like he doesn't even know, he's bored. Mm -hmm. You know, Maggie is more mature than the other kids, so she's more stoic. And then her little sister is crying because she understands what's going on. And then 
Calvin is just pissed off because of all the abuse and now this like right. yeah they're seeing a rated r movie that's got nudity in it so it's not appropriate for them either oh yeah no parents around that's that's the other thing like neglect of parental neglect i mean there's the scene in the movie where travolta threatens to jump off the brooklyn bridge if i remember right oh, yeah. yeah and there's somebody who does actually fall and die yeah you wanted to talk about the ending. Actually, you know what's so interesting? You mentioned um, uh, Saturday Night Fever. It's, I've actually seen it recently. There is a rape. There is rape in that, uh, in that movie also. Sexual abuse of a character. So it's crazy. I don't know if there's a resonance. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I should rewatch it. I watched it as a comedy, and I thought it was a comedy, but it was anyways uh the ending um there was one other reference that i wanted to make i can't find the page but i noticed that they're watching a tv show and i was wondering if it was the tv show that bet is beto's characters in it but oh which which page was that i'll have to find it i'll look for i i'm unfortunately i lost the, the place okay. but, yeah the, um, the and you know one of the things that's always been confusing to me about Love and Rockets is the first volume or two have Maggie in the sci-fi setting fixing rocket ships mm -hmm. and just like the bit about him having her being covered in the newspaper being the 13 year old who fixes cars that makes those stories like retroactively more perfect because it's her mind imagining herself being this kind of sci-fi heroine fixing yeah. cars and it just puts it in a whole different level I mean you just you can imagine her being in that world kind of either remembering those memories or daydreaming them at the time and it just gives us the whole series so much more resonance mm -hmm. um have that has that been referenced that much i'm sure it's been referenced before recently but but from her being a mechanic and everything not that much that i can think of mm -hmm. if i if, i'm trying to remember anything that's happened happens after trying to open the garage in this book mm -hmm. and i think that by the way that comic's name i think is called big john and yeah and then what big john is although there were ads for big john in old comics he was like a, a oh, GI, old style gi joe i guess we can talk about the ending so we did we mentioned that um calvin uh, there's a point where ray you know the guy that essentially you're all like he's a character that Everybody wants him and Maggie to end up together. They just right. want to end up together, including the reader, including Amir, me. And at some point, Calvin, the brother, has grown up, obviously, kind of loses it. And Ray sees him in the street and tries to kind of calm him down. And then he went, he goes kind of crazy and he tries to calm down, but he punches him. And, and Calvin, due to whatever reasons, I guess my thoughts are like, Feeling, fearing that Ray might be an abuser or or just going crazy, and he he bashes him over the head with a brick that he finds on the ground, mm -hmm. and and then afterwards you see right after that, like you see like pretty violent. I mean, you don't see what happens to Ray per se. You don't see his body. You see his body on the ground. You see his cell phone broken, blood on the ground, and then you uh, basically flash back to. Maggie as a child, concurrently Ray as a child, 
and kind of like parallel, <laughs> kind of like Watchmen. That yeah. Symmetry, whatever yeah. that it's called. It's beautiful because the pages are right across from each other, right? Yeah, and you see kind of like the moments where they met and all these experiences they had. And then you forward, flash forward to Maggie in a date with some easy guy. Those are all visual references from other stories. Ah, oh, okay. So again, if you if you are a longtime Love and Rockets reader, there's like a second level of resonance there, but you don't need it. Mm -hmm. You don't need it. it. Like you don't need to know why they both are sitting with, you know, in the hospital or something with, you know, bruises on each other or whatever it might be. It, yeah. It's just all part of their lives. I mean, the cub, the picture of Maggie at the bottom of page 102, panel seven, I think that was an old cover, in fact. Mm -hmm. What about the one at the the last one, the panel nine, when they're looking at each other? It seems like a funeral. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Mm. The, but I, I mean, I I didn't know any. I don't have any history, and it was like, oh, I totally know what's going on here. This yeah, like memory lane. Yeah, oh, isn't it beautiful? Yeah. It's just so so nice, so nicely done. And then, so he has these two pages that juxtapose against each other, right? And they're in perfect harmony with each other. And you flip to the date and he does the same trick, only it's on the same page and they're not in harmony with each other. Mm -hmm. And you get those two panels of them trying to, to, to sync and they don't. It's just like such a great visual representation of this pair just not quite getting along. Mm-hmm. So you were saying, and, and also you notice like Maggie looks just a little older there too. She yeah. just looks a little different, which is also just like this beautiful kind of representation of, uh, you know, time passing. Yeah. So tell me your theory about why, when do you think it becomes like a dream or like a uh, becomes unreal is um, it what is that nice juxtaposition on page 107 where, you, where maggie has her hair where maggie's crying in the in the bathroom and then we see her look mm -hmm. over and her hair is covered well one thing that i want to mention right after that you know that memory lane page the two spread of you know the two pages of memory lane the symmetry yeah you see him I think she's on a date with some sleazy guy, you know, like with like his chest hair is showing and like they're having food and um, and she's gained weight, right? She's gained, she's a little bit older. I think maybe it's, it looks like 10 years later, you know? Yeah. And then she goes out to a movie to get some movies or I think a video store and, and asks about Ray and she's like, oh, Ray never calls me back anymore. Um, and I would say probably, what is it, how long afterward? Is it like maybe at least three years later after that incident? At so least, they have not yeah. spoken in three years. Mm -hmm. And then right after that, you see, he tells them that, oh yeah, you know, Ray was beat up or something happened. You know, he goes and visits Ray's sister who's taking care of Ray, who's been out of commission for three years. So he's been almost, I don't wanna say, it's not probably paralyzed, or, pro or more so just 
almost like a vegetable, but conscious vegetable. I don't know what the word for, but he basically can't take care of himself. His mom and his sister have to take care of him. If he was, if he could physically walk around, maybe even if he'd lost his mind, you'd still see him in those pages. But it, to me, it seems like he's also physically, like in a way has been paralyzed. Yeah. Uh, mentally, phys probably physically for sure, and mentally out. And then, you know, Maggie visits them and there's a scene where she's all like, hey, can I use your bathroom? And she goes to the bathroom, looks in the mirror and starts crying. And then the next panel is you see her kind of older than even there. And then that's where you see her like, you know, at the mechanics, you know, taking, picking up uh, Hopi's child and taking her to Hopi and then she's going home and you're like, what's she going to do? She, she says hello to somebody at home and it's Ray. And he's, you know, he's recovering. It looks like he's got that scar, a little scar on his face that you would think that's probably where the brick hit him and stuff. And then, you know, they embrace then they kiss each other. And, you know, she says, I waited for you. And, you know, it's, that's the end. These lovers, it's like a happy ending. Yeah. Yeah. I think, when she goes into the bathroom and the next scene in the bathroom where she's in there, at least is all imagination. I think that's a great reading of it. And you also alluded to something about her being a mechanic, like a, you know, a savant mechanic um, at 13. And I, I, and you mentioned like maybe those dinosaurs and rockets are all imagination. And I don't know if they are. This is a guy who does, hasn't, doesn't have the backlog but it seems like she imagines a lot and I think this is a fantasy it's not it's definitely a fantasy because she also didn't have the money to buy the garage to get the garage yeah and they and even if she had the money which you know at some point Ray lied to her and said yeah I'll let you borrow the money even though he didn't have the money she calls him and says well they already rented it out so there's not even a possibility of getting that garage yeah. even if yeah. she had the money so um yeah, I think if, when I she covers her head, there's some significance to it, right? Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, going back to the last page, 106, when she's in the bathroom, this is her realizing the mistake she made, too. Mm -hmm. That this is her family causing her to not be truly happy, but also herself not allowing her to be happy with Ray. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, you really think about it as like, it's a, it's a really, this is a truly a sad book to me. I mean, it's yeah. a beautifully well done book, but it's like, sometimes you just, you're where you come from holds you back. Yeah. And then, but then you also hold your back too. I mean, you know, like with Ray and, you know, just taking so long and. But you but, made a great point a few minutes ago, right? Maggie had kind of transcended all the stuff that happened to her when she was yeah. a kid. She was she was pretty put together. She has a great group of friends who are loyal to her. And yet she's this is her life not allowing her to transcend. This is her life kind of causing her to feel alone, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's significant. Like first we see Hopi and the little kid her little kid uh, who's like her saying this is this was my love but she's moved away she has someone else in her life okay then i should have been i should have been with ray if i wasn't with hopi yeah and and 
it's so sad to me that we see this last three panels are this really domestic kind of life together too right mm -hmm. she comes home and she starts taking off clothes like you do in front of him because they're together right they have this comfort with each other she hugs him with this like deep passion and then it ends with a kiss and the tear rolling down her cheek like ah, oh, it's just so sad because like yeah. this is the life she can never have she can I, never have this truly happy life yeah. with the person who she loves yeah and I, the other thing is again like i hate i hate this ending not not because of i don't think it's a bad ending I, I, it's perfect ending but it's a the reason i think it's not real is again like factually there's a point where hokey calls her about the baby right yeah and like yeah we might be breaking up we're not really in love so it's like things aren't like the garage isn't going to happen Hopi doesn't really want to have a kid anymore because they don't even know if they're going to end up together. And so like all these, these happy endings are like, uh, and so that's my interpretation. However, I had a question for you, and this is some, from somebody who's read, uh, you know, Love and Rockets. There is a story technique that Jaime uses about where you go from one panel to a second panel. I think a lot of artists don't, this is like a, innovation that he created where like time passes from one panel to the other and it has does he do that very often where like one panel is like you know maggie's 20 and the next panel she's 27 or something like that you know those yeah he does and uh you see this especially in the death of speedy ortiz mm -hmm. which is like volume seven or so mm -hmm. and because you see it's not dissimilar to this because you see their lives kind of flashing forward and backwards and the relationship kind of playing itself out over time. Mm -hmm. It's one of his favorite techniques. You know, it's a good analogy to call it like the watchman technique too, because it's this juxtaposition that causes your mind to kind of flash into things, so, I mean, flash into the, the relationship of time with these characters. So the only thing uh, that I have to think of is like, maybe time did pass, and maybe this is 10 years in the future, 15 years in the future and ray was able to come back and hope he ended up having a baby you know is it the same woman with the same woman um, we don't see her yeah so i don't know if maybe it's a different woman and she had ended up wanting to have a baby or a kid and she had one yeah i think in the miseducation of hopi glass which comes which is created before this we get more on that i like that we have this ambiguity at the end though yeah yeah, it's a good, it's a good, it's a great book. It's beautiful. Too bad, but you know, things didn't happen. They ended up not, I don't know. In my opinion, this is a sad book that's beautiful. But I think one of the things that about, you know, dreaming and having is like, he got, she got to frame the life that she wanted through dreaming and um, and I think that's not, that's a power that like that human beings have that like the possibility of things are also gifts. And I don't know if I'm making any sense, but it, it, I think what this says is she had something with Ray, and that's that could never be lost, and it can be turned into this this fantasy that may not be real, but it's real in the sense that those they both she realizes that they both had those feelings for another. And in another alternate, you know, 
universe, they would have ended up together. It wasn't just arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that we see her tearing up a bill in the first two panels also implies it's imagined. They, they're living a carefree life. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I think, yeah, I, I, I would say like, if something was to happen, there would have been like, if anything, there'd be a few panels of like time passing and like yeah. she's taking care of him and like, you know, like what it, you know, I'll stand by, you know, that's yeah. Yeah, it you becomes know, a lifetime but, movie or something. Yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not that. She that he did not get better. Yeah. Uh, we've read so many great cartoonists as part of the series, Amir. I'm looking forward to what whoever we talk about next time. Yeah. Uh, I told you before this book brought me to tears and now rereading it again, like uh, yeah. it's it's one of the best graphic novels I think I've read. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, this one was uh, this one was one of those good. I got to go back and read the rest of them now. Thank you, Amir. Talk to you next Thanks. week. Thanks, Jason. Oh, thank you.